We are continuing our Advent series, um, and today we are um, on our fourth Sunday of Advent, and we started this off three weeks ago by talking about hope and specifically how God's faithfulness produces our hope. And then two weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus' coming means we can have peace with God. And then last week, when we lit the candle of joy and we were thinking about joy, we talked about how Jesus' coming means unimaginable joy. And we're going in the same direction, kind of the same format today as we're talking about love. And specifically, what I want you to remember from today is this, that Jesus' coming is God's great act of love. Jesus' coming is God's great act of love. I have four young boys, and for two of those boys, when Victoria found out she was pregnant, and when we shared that news with our family, specifically when we went to tell my brother, my younger brother Jonathan, he had some news himself. And in fact, for both Dewey and Thacker, our third and fourth boys, uh, Victoria was pregnant almost the exact amount of time as my sister-in-law. And so each of the younger two have a cousin that is days or weeks uh, within their age. And they spent uh, some, some time together. Now, always, always, of course, if you have sisters or cousins or anything, you're obligated to do a maternity shoot like this with the belly button. And I got to tell you, the dads, we feel left out, okay? And uh, my brother and I felt the need. Um, you know, we wanted to show off our, you know. But I will tell you this, for neither of those pregnancies, when we found out, when we told them, when they told us, was either my wife or my sister-in-law's reaction to say to one another, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Nor did either of them say, oh, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. That was not their response. But you may have picked up that when Mary found out she was pregnant, she went and she saw her cousin who was also pregnant, and this was their conversation. Their reaction to this news was one of immense joy because they understood what this meant. In fact, the verses that you see on the screen now come from Luke chapter 1 in a passage that we call the Magnificat. We call it that because it's from the first line of that verse in Latin. Uh, Magnificat anima mia dominum. Uh, dominum. Uh, my soul magnifies the Lord. Okay? For those of you keeping track at home, yes, we've done Latin. Last week it was Koine Greek. Two weeks ago it was Hebrew. My French pronunciation is getting criticized so much, I'm switching to dead languages, so we're just, yeah, criticize my koine, why don't you, yeah, no, um, but it's called the Magnificat because this is Mary's response. It is her song 
rejoicing at God's great act of love. She knew and she understood what it was God was doing in this moment. And she says things like he's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. She knew and she understood what it was God was doing in this moment, this great act of love in sending his promised rescuer. Jesus coming is God's great act of love. And if you've ever started reading the Bible at these stories, if you start reading the Bible in the Gospels, you might be going, hang on, what? What's going on? What's happening? I don't understand. Because there's an awful lot of Bible that comes before this. And in fact, it serves to illustrate this one big idea that God is going to send his rescuer. God is going to provide a way to save us. And this is God's great act of love. Jesus coming is God's great act of love. I've said it before and I'll say it again. All of scripture points to Jesus and specifically this one big great act of love. And there's actually, uh, of all the versions of the Bible that I have in my house, I decided this one was the best one that illustrates this. This is the Jesus Storybook Bible. We have this. We have read parts of it um, with all of our kids. It's one of our favorites. If you don't know it and you have young kids, I absolutely recommend it. It's wonderful because one of the things that it does well is it highlights this idea that All of scripture is kind of one big continuous story that points to Jesus. And I just want to briefly read the section from Genesis and what it says in here that illustrates this idea of God's promise to send his rescuer. So this is in the garden after Adam and Eve have sinned and they've encountered God and he's made clothes for them. But before he's sent them out of the garden, And this is what we read. God loved his children too much to let the story end there. Even though he knew he would suffer, God had a plan, a magnificent dream. One day he would get his children back. One day he would make the world their perfect home again. One day he would wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God would love his children with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. And though they would forget him and run from him, deep in their hearts, God's children would miss him always and long for him, lost children yearning for their home. Before they left the garden, God whispered a promise to Adam and Eve. It will not always be so. I will come to rescue you. And when I do, I'm going to do battle against that snake. I'll get rid of the sin and the dark and the sadness that you let in here. I'm coming back for you. And he would. One day, God himself would come. I love that. Because it's true right from the very beginning in Genesis 3, we are told this promise 
that God is going to send his rescuer. And we see that. That's what we see fulfilled at Christmas time. Jesus coming is God's great act of love. It is his promised rescuer finally come to earth. And that's what Mary and Elizabeth know and realize in that moment that make them erupt in song and say, this is the best ever. God loves us so much. Yes, and the music's playing and it's wonderful. I need that for my life, just a soundtrack whenever I... Um, but this is, they knew God's rescuer had finally come. And that is what we celebrate, especially at Christmas, with Jesus coming. And there is just one story from Jesus' life that I want to look at this morning very briefly that I think illustrates this well. This is not a Christmas story at all. I don't know if, if uh, this is often preached the day before Christmas, but, you know, that's me, unconventional. Turn with me, if you would, to Mark chapter 6, and I'm going to be reading from here, from verses 45 to 52. This story, I think, really illustrates well this Advent notion of Jesus coming as God's rescuer in his great, magnificent, seminal act of love. Because Jesus' coming is God's great act of love. And we see that not just in his birth, but all throughout Jesus' life and his ministry. So I want to read this now. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty well-known story. Maybe you've heard it before, but I just want to read this now from Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 45. This is right after Jesus has fed 5,000 uh, people and their families, and he's retreated. He went and prayed up on a mountain, uh, and, and uh, this happens right after that. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by, but when he saw them walking on the sea, uh, saw them, uh, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out for all they saw, for all, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and he said, "Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid." And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. You see, here's this story of Jesus having just performed this great miracle and spending time with his father up on the mountain. We don't get a lot of insight about what happened in this instance, but we see other times when Jesus is up on a mountain spending time with his father, transfigured, glorified. And then here he comes down and he's walking on the sea. And in the midst of this great storm, he sees them, he gets in the boat, and the storm stops. And I don't know if you're ever reading through the Bible, and something just kind of sounds familiar. 
You're ever reading through a Bible story and you're like, ooh, that kind of sounds Bible-y. You know, that feels like, have I read that before? That sounds familiar. Kids, you especially, when you go on Tuesday nights to Kids Club and they have you learn a verse and you memorize it and it goes into your head and hopefully into your heart too, that is great because the more and more that you read scripture and it's in your heart and it's kind of rolling around in the back of your mind, there are times when you read a story and you go, I feel like I've read that before. That sounds familiar. That feels kind of Bible-y. And I got that feeling when I was reading this story. There's a phrase that kind of stuck out to me. When it says in verse 48, he meant to pass them by. That's kind of a strange phrase. He meant to pass them by. And you know what? That phrase, that idea of God passing by, that's common, especially throughout the Old Testament. And it's something that the author here, Mark, I think is meaning to put in. He's meaning to draw a connection between God of the Old Testament that we see and the way he interacts. This phrase turns up all the time. In Genesis chapter 15, when God makes a covenant with Abraham, we see this same phrase, and then the, God passes through the animals that are split as a smoking pot and a torch. In uh, Exodus chapter 12, when Moses is, or uh, excuse me, during the Passover, um, we see this same thing. The Spirit of God is passing through Egypt. And later on in Exodus, in chapter 33, when Moses is up on the mountain, he can't even really see God totally face to face because it so changes and alters him, and he hides himself in the cleft of the rock as God's glory passes him by. Or how about in 1 Kings 19, Elijah is up on a mountain. He does the same thing. He kind of hides in a cave as a wind and a hurricane and a fire and these things pass by and that's how he interacts with God. That's where he sees and hears God's glory. Or even in Ezekiel, when the prophet has this vision of God who passes by his, his people uh, in the picture of a, a faithless bride. He, God passes by. So over and over again, we see this idea of a God who is so mighty and awesome and holy that even to be directly in his presence would be too much for us. And so God just passes by as he interacts with humanity. And that's the idea we're meant to have here with Jesus. And the Bible tells us all the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. All of God's glory is there too. And Jesus, who's just multiplied fishes and loaves to feed thousands of people and been up on a high mountain talking directly with God and now is walking on water in the midst of a storm, he meant to pass them by, but he didn't. He doesn't. No longer is God just going to pass his people by. He stops and he looks at them and he gets in the boat with them. And then the storm ceases. I'll say it again. And then the storm ceases. Could Jesus have seen all of this from that mountain and from there gone, hey, storm, cut it out, and the storm would have stopped? Yeah, he could have. Could he have snapped his fingers and said, peace be still from there and not even had to go and meet them in the boat? Absolutely. Could Jesus have just like 
blinked twice and immediately it would be a beautiful sunny day, a little breeze, high of 25. Yes, he could have done all of those things. That is not how Jesus chose to rescue his disciples in that moment. In the midst of the storm, he goes through the storm and he gets in the boat with them. He enters into their storm. He enters into them straining and struggling and crying out. And he says, guys, I'm here with you to rescue you. Because that is a father's love. Jesus' coming is God's great act of love. There, I can think of very few things more fatherly than rescuing a child crying out for help. All you need to do is Google, like, dad saving kids videos, and you will see tons of excellent footage of dad. There is something about it if my kids are walking into danger or falling off something, like, we become superheroes. It's like, I will see, oh, there's something about the reflexes of a dad that just go, I have to go into rescuer mode. That's what Jesus' coming is. It is God, a heavenly father, looking at his children and saying, I'm coming back to rescue you. And he doesn't do it from on high. He doesn't do it from aloft in heaven. He doesn't do it with a wind or a fire or a flaming torch. He gets in the boat with us while the storm is raging. And then he calms the storm. That's what Jesus is. That's what Jesus' coming means. In the midst of our storm, in the midst of crying out to God, he says, I'm sending a rescuer, and I'm going to come myself. Jesus' coming is God's great act of love. It is his great love for us that sees us and says, I got to do something. And God gets in the boat with us. Young kids that are in here, you might not be familiar with this, but every week I ask the same question. I say, so what? This is a Bible story from 2,000 years ago, written in a different language, in another culture. Does this have anything to do with us? Yeah, I believe that it does. And every week we try to ask ourselves this same question. So what? What does this have to do with us? How do I live differently Monday through Saturday because of what I learn and read on Sunday morning? Or I hope every morning or, or time of day or whenever you're reading scripture. We ought to say, how can I live differently because I have learned about God's great love for us in him sending his son Jesus? And I want you this Christmas season to remember this to remember what this is all about. This is about Jesus coming as our rescuer because a loving creator, Father God, loves us so, so much. And he comes through the storm and he gets in the boat with us to rescue us. And as you're opening presents or as you're sharing a meal, or as you're singing carols, or however you and your family are, are uh, celebrating Christmas, remember this is God's great love for us, that he sends his son Jesus to rescue us. In fact, 
As I think about what we're meant to do to remember Jesus and what he did, and I think about Christmas, it's meant to be linked to Easter. Christmas and Easter are far apart and sometimes we forget, but they're connected. And we're meant to, even as we remember that Jesus came as a baby, we're meant to remember what he came to do. He came to die for us. And he came to rise again from the dead so that we too could experience resurrection. Jesus coming is God's great act of love. And Jesus himself, talking to this same group of disciples one night, he told them this. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. And while Jesus was saying this, it was while they were sharing a meal together. And Jesus said to his disciples, here's what I want you to do. Whenever you get together and you eat, I want you to remember me and I want you to remember why I came and how I came to rescue you. Because this is my body broken for you. And this is my blood poured out as an offering for you. And this morning we are going to do that together. We usually take communion earlier on in the service. Today I thought it would work best. We're going to do things a little bit differently. And we're going to invite people to come up. And we're going to have a time of reflection and facilitate that. And Paul is going to come up and facilitate um, this, this time of communion. Uh, let me pray for us and let us remember Jesus coming as God's great act of love for us. God, we thank you so much for all that you have done for us. We thank you that you came to rescue us. That you, not just from afar, from on top of a mountain or up in heaven, but you got down in the storm with us and climbed into a boat to show us your great love. We thank you, God, and we pray that we would think of Jesus and remember Remember his sacrifice and remember the truth that he rose again and that he's coming again, even as we celebrate Christmas. We pray it all in his beautiful name. Amen. Morning, church. Uh, we're going to do things, as Daniel said, a little bit differently. Uh, we're going to do communion, but we're going to go back 2,000 years. So just invite you to focus on the screen and... Come with us 2,000 years ago. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. I can't believe that this is real. Those shepherds were so excited and amazed to see my baby. They were so gentle, yet so full of energy. And the way they ran out of here shouting and praising God. What a story. Angels, hundreds of angels. In the field, those shepherds did not smell like they were drinking. They did smell, mind you. But could it be? Come on, Mary, it has to be true. Everything that the angel said is my little boy, the son of Yahweh, the most high God. He must be. How else? Will he be a king, a king like David? How can he be a king forever? 
But when that angel spoke to me, how my soul magnified the Lord and my spirit rejoiced in God, my Savior. He has always been merciful toward Israel and to the offspring of Abraham. Could my baby be the Messiah? And Elizabeth and Zachariah's story. Her baby jumping in her womb. How did he know I was pregnant? Pregnant. Oh, my precious Joseph. He has been so understanding, patient, and faithful. Look at the love he has and how tenderly he holds him. This has to be God's child. There is just no other way. But this place, a manger in Bethlehem? Who would have imagined? How did those shepherds even find us anyway? What Mary may not have fully grasped that evening was that the promises of God over the past millennium were being fulfilled. His promise, his plan, his son. The seed of Abraham, descendant of Isaac and Jacob, from the tribe of Judah in the family line of Jesse, from the house of King David, born of a virgin, literally, Emmanuel, God with us, the Son of God, born in Bethlehem. The Messiah promised by God had come, peace on earth, goodwill toward all men. When Jesus saw his mother and disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. Oh, my son, your mother's heart is breaking. This can't be real. Those soldiers have beaten you so badly, mutilated. The blood is everywhere. That sign, those horrible thorns, how can they do this? They have nailed you to a cross like a criminal. What have you done to deserve this? We tried so hard to protect you, fleeing to Egypt. All those other baby boys slaughtered by that monster Herod. A quiet life in Nazareth, working with Joseph. Your work was admired throughout Galilee. Such a brilliant boy, so gentle and loved by everyone, faithful to all the law and impressing the priests and the teachers at the synagogue and temple. Why is this happening? Such an amazing son, so caring, loving, kind, always respectful and helpful, never a harsh word. Everything that cousin Zachariah proclaimed about John and Jesus, how John loved Jesus so much. Old Simeon and Anna were so right. You only had a spirit of love for everyone around you, proclaiming and demonstrating the love of your heavenly Father for all people, even the Samaritans and the Gentiles. Don't they remember the miracles? The blind seeing, lame walking, leprosy cured, and all those people that had no food. 
the demons were afraid and the winds obeyed. Judas, oh, Judas, how could you have betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave? How can this be happening at Passover? Just last week, they were praising God for you and treating you like a king when you rode in on that donkey. How can they hate you so much? Nothing they said was true. Why didn't you say something? No one defended you, not even Peter. Now they are mocking you, spitting on you. They are gambling for your clothes. My mother? Rabbi, what are you saying? How, how can this be happening? Why are you letting them do this to you? There, there's so many of them. The crowd is so vile. Even those that pass by, cursing, hating. Why don't you tell them to stop? You commanded the wind and the waves. You walked on water. Raised Lazarus from the dead after four days. Show them the power that's in you. You're the Messiah, a Redeemer. How can you free us and save your people from the hands of these evil Romans if you die on that cross? You're the promised King, the Son of God. You've told us that and you've showed us. You're the Christ. Oh, how I love you, Master, and I know that you love me. I felt it to the very core of my being. You're just, you're just hanging there, so still, no, no sounds. How can you endure so much pain, blood? What's that soldier doing? Not, 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 not a spear. Evil is in this place. I can feel it. Why is it getting so dark? Oh, my Lord, yes, Lord. Jesus, your mother, I'll love her as my own. What did you mean? It's finished. We can only imagine the horror, confusion, fear, and pain of those few followers gathered at Golgotha. They certainly did not comprehend that this, this was the fulfillment of God's promise that had been revealed to the prophets. He would be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver, abandoned by his followers, persecuted, dishonored, shamed, whipped, beaten, tortured, crowned with thorns, disfigured to the point that the crowd would just mock and stare. Nails through his hands and his feet, fixing him to a cross like a sinner. Parched with thirst, offered vinegar to drink, a spear thrust into his side, yet not a bone broken, not a word spoken to defend himself, silent as a lamb led to slaughter, poured out like water, all of his bones out of joint, his heart like wax melted within him, forsaken by his father cut off, not for himself, but for our sins. God's promise, God's plan, God the Son, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins 
of the world. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Oh, man. Oh, man, what a day. What a month. Actually, it's, it's, been, it's been 40 days. Has it been 40 days? It's gone so fast. It's been, it's been amazing. I, I have to tell someone, everyone. That's what he said. He said, he said go tell everyone and, and even to the ends of the earth. How, how can I not tell them? Jesus is alive. I know it. I've seen him. I've, I've eaten with him, touched him, his hands, his feet. All oh, the grave couldn't hold him. Death could not defeat him. He, he's risen. And now that he's explained it to us, this was God's plan all along. That's why he came. Not to free us from Rome, but from sin and death. And not to be kings in this world, but to reign with him in his eternal kingdom. I'm not sure what he meant by a helper being sent. And how can I ever imagine to be able to do more things greater than him? But now that he's gone, I know he'll be back. Because he said so. He promised. And that big angel too. Oh man, this is incredible. It makes so much sense now. I need to tell my neighbors. I can't forget. Oh, but, but that's right. He told us to remember. And, and to never forget. Oh God, how much you love me. You sent your son to this world. Lord Jesus, you, you came obedient to your father. So that your body could be broken and your blood shed for me. As we this morning think about Jesus coming, this great act of love, God sending his rescuer, we're going to do what he himself commanded us to do. Take the bread and the cup and remember him. And even as Paul writes, as often as we do this, we are proclaiming his death, his resurrection, and his promise to come again. And so for those that would consider themselves followers of Jesus, believers, that you have made a decision and you affirm that this is true, we invite you to come up, whether as individuals or in family groups or groups of people, come and take the elements. We've got lots of room up here. Take a moment to think, to pray, to reflect, and then take those elements together. If you are with us this morning, uh, or maybe you're visiting, and you would not consider yourself a follower of Jesus, uh, maybe you are just not quite there yet, or, or you're not sure, that's okay. We welcome you. We are so glad that you are here with us. We want to invite you this morning to observe, to ask questions, to come and chat with, uh, with any of us that you've seen up here uh, this morning um, and, and see as, as we kind of partake in, in this family um, ordinance. Um, so please, as you will, as you feel led, um, come and partake.